Please be aware the stories, theories, reenactments, and language of this podcast are of an adult nature and can be disturbing, frightening, and in some cases offensive. Listener discretion is therefore advised. Hey, there's very adult content ahead, and you have been warned. Welcome, heathens. Welcome to the world of the weird and unexplained. As always, I'm your host, Nicole Delacroix, and joining us at some point will be my dear friend and fabulous co-host, Brody Fay. However, today he is MIA still. Um, Unfortunately, the crud does not go away as quickly as we would hope. But together, we will be bringing you stories about the weird, wonderful, unexplained, eerie, scary, and downright unbelievable. There will be tales of ghosts, murder, supernatural beings, and unexplained mysteries. So, sit back, grab your favorite drink, relax, and prepare to be transported to today's Dark Enigma. And on today's Dark Enigma, we will be delving into the chilling and haunting world of UFO sightings and experiences. Now, this is a particularly well-known story that we're going to be covering, and throughout the entire series for Dark Enigma, we will be bringing you many different stories. But if you've ever had a supernatural experience, well, send it on over to us and we might even include it in a future episode. And as you know, we always try to do a little bit of a drinking game. And while there really isn't any actual alien drinks, I did find a fabulous website that had several really cool alien-themed drinks. So I'm including the link in the post so that you can go to the website and maybe make some alien drinks and listen to the show with them. Now, if you're not up for making drinks because, you know, that takes time and alcohol is faster... Um, and you just want to do the shot game, well, then we do recommend shots of outer space vodka. And for the game, well, every time we say craft or UFO, well, that'll be a shot. And if at some point we say anal probe, well, that'll be a double shot. (laughs) Pun totally intended. And as always, if you're driving, you may not take part in the drinking game. You must be at home with nowhere to go until morning to take part in the drinking games. So drink responsibly, my loves. I will say in searching for an alien drink, I found some really, really cool shot glasses on Amazon. They have little aliens on them and they say drink till you believe. They are totally ultra cool. And I've bought some and I suggest that you go buy some yourself because they're really, really cool. All right, let's jump into our first alien episode. I know you guys are so ex- excited. I can't wait for it. Wait for it. Anal probe. Okay, sorry. <laughs> UFO sightings are really nothing new. They've been ham- happening since the dawn of time. But one of the most extremely haunting sightings and one that has stood the test of time was an event that took place in the piney woods of Texas near the town of Huffman. For our listeners that are not from Texas or have ever been to Texas, this is a small community just outside of Houston. It was a chilly night in December of 1980, the 29th in fact, when two women and one child encountered a craft of unknown origin. The striking thing about this story, well, it's that all three suffered not only emotional trauma, but severe physical injuries as well. A regular drive through the piney woods of Texas at night is a lonely and, to be quite honest, somewhat spooky one. But on this particular night, 
The routine drive turned into a life-changing event for these three. 51-year-old Betty Cash was driving through the woods from her home in New Caney, Texas to Dayton, Texas. They were driving on Farm to Market Road 1485. With her was her good friend, 57-year-old Vicki Landrum, and Vicki's 7-year-old grandson, Colby. The three were searching for an open bingo game, but due to the holiday season, all the local games were closed. Since they weren't having any any luck finding a game, they decided to stop for a meal. After their meal, they continued on their journey. Once back on the road, they began to see a light in the distance. Within a few short minutes, the light became a glowing object, slowly crossing the tops of the tall pine trees. The area that they were in was a densely occupied and had towering pine and oak trees surrounded by the occasional swamp and small lake. As they went along, they didn't think much of the lights, figuring it must be a plane or a helicopter from one of the local airfields. But suddenly, ahead of them, loomed an immense diamond-shaped craft hovering above the road directly in front of them. At regular but fast intervals, the object would shoot down a stream of reddish-orange flames, which Vicky would later describe as being like a diamond on fire. There was also a constant beeping sound as the craft spit out its fiery downspout. As a devout Christian, Vicky never believed in UFOs or extraterrestrials, but in that moment, she believed that she was witnessing the end of the world. Scared out of their minds, Betty came to a quick stop to keep from driving underneath the craft. They'd been running the heater in the car to kill the frosty air from the night, but now the inside of the car was so hot that they actually had to turn off the heater and leave the car with Vicky and Colby. Now outside, the three could hear a steady roaring sound coming from this terrifying sight ahead of them. In fact, Colby became so afraid that his grandmother finally had to take him back into the car simply to comfort him, leaving Betty outside, alone. In some strange way, she was absolutely fascinated with the inexplicable vision before her. As she stood watching, the sky was suddenly filled with helicopters. Betty said, and I quote, "...they seemed to rush in from all directions. It seemed like they were trying to encircle the thing." She had assumed that the helicopters were from the local Tomble Airfield, just northwest of Houston, or possibly from Ellington Air Force Base, south of Houston. The eerie object now began to rise into the air and proceed southwest with the helicopters in hot pursuit. Betty returned to the car, but the door handle was so hot that she could hardly open it and actually burned her hand getting inside the car. Once inside... She had to turn on the air conditioning to cool off the inside of the vehicle. After the object left the area, they restarted the car and left in the hopes of making it home without ever seeing the craft again. But after several miles of dark roads, they left Farm to Market Road in favor of the larger and well-lit freeway. In the distance, though, they could again see the object with its bright lights illuminating the helicopters which were still trying to encircle it. From their vantage point, the two ladies could actually count the number of helicopters in the air. It was 23. Some were identified as the double-rotor CH-47 Chinook helicopters, 
while others were the faster single-engine rotor of a Bell Huey. Finally making it home, all three of the witnesses became extremely sick within a few hours of the encounter. Betty's head and neck were blistered, and before long her eyes were swollen shut. She also experienced extreme nausea. By the next morning, she was nearly comatose. Vicky and Colby suffered similar symptoms, though not as severe as Betty. And after a few miserable days of trying to care for to be cared for at Vicky's home, Betty finally was checked into a hospital where she was immediately treated as a burn victim, remaining in hospital for more than 15 days. Her hair began to fall out, and her eyes swelled so badly that she wasn't able to see for a week. In addition, her scalp was numb and painful. Now, Vicky also lost her hair, and Colby had some problems with his eyes, but again, neither of them suffered to the degree that Betty did. All three were treated for radiation poisoning, and their condition was listed by doctors as life-threatening. Before long, they also developed skin sores, suffered from extreme weight loss, and even a diagnosis of skin cancer. As for the helicopters, well, the local air bases were questioned, but the only public statement made by military officials came from Fort Hood Press Officer Major Tony Geishauser. In an interview with the Corpus Christi Caller newspaper, he stated that no Fort Hood aircraft were in the Houston area that night. He stated, and I quote, I don't know any other place around here that would have that number of helicopters. I don't know what it could be, unless there's a super secret thing going on, and I wouldn't necessarily know anything about that. End quote. Hmm, a super secret thing, huh? Interestingly enough, the road was badly damaged by the emissions from the craft, but it seemed to have been repaired quite quickly. Even investigators were at a loss to explain the events of that night, except to say that Betty, Vicky, and Colby had encountered a craft of undetermined origin, or possibly an experimental government craft. The three unwilling participants in this event eventually sued the U.S. government for medical damages, and during a congressional hearing, the Department of the Army Inspector General denied any military involvement in the case, and thus disallowed any compensation in the affair. Now, there would be several other witnesses to the strange craft and the helicopters that night, and among them was an off-duty Dayton, Texas police officer and his wife, who were driving home from Cleveland the same night and noted seeing a large number of CH-47 helicopters. There was also a Crosby, Texas man who was directly under the flight path who reported seeing a large number of heavy military helicopters flying overhead. A Dayton, Texas oil-filled worker, Jerry McDonald, saw a large object fly directly overhead while he was in his back garden. He thought it might have been a blimp at first, but soon knew that it was something more. He stated that it was kind of diamond-shaped and had two twin torches shooting brilliant blue flames out the back. Huh. In a strange twist of fate, corroboration of the unknown object from that night would come to light in 1981. In April, a CH-47 flew into Dayton for the purpose of a public showing. This allowed local residents to view the machine both inside and out. Colby had spotted the helicopter as it was flying into town and became very upset. Vicky took him to the landing site in the hopes that it might allay his fears. 
as they reached the Chinook, a long line of locals had already began to form, and they had to wait their turn to see the giant machine. But when their turn finally came around, Vicky and Colby entered the helicopter, accompanied by another visitor. Vicky began to recount her experience in the Piney Woods, and both Vicky and the unnamed witness professed that the pilot had said he was in the air that night of the traumatic sighting, stating he had been sent to check on a craft in trouble near Huffman. Vicky began to discuss her injuries due to the burns and radiation poisoning, and upon hearing her story, the pilot quickly clammed up and moved them out of the craft. The pilot, who was later interviewed by the UFO group Visit, would only admit that he knew of the Cash Lundrum's case, but refused to admit that he had even been in the area the night of the sighting. Hmm, interesting. And on that note, we're going to take a little break here, and I'm going to let you digest the story so far. And when we return, we will have more... Anal probes, that's right, double shot. So join us after the break. Welcome back, heathens. I'm so glad that you came back and joined us for the exciting tale of one of the most famous and well-documented UFO encounters. Now, if you're just joining us, we are discussing the Cash Lundrum or Piney Woods, Texas incident, where on December 29, 1980, Betty Cash, Vicki Lundrum, and Vicki's grandson, Colby, were all driving home, and they had a close encounter of the second kind that changed their lives forever. Now, the trio suffered both emotional and physical injuries that would last a lifetime. Radiologists who examined their medical records stated that their symptoms were evidence of secondary damage to ionizing radiation, or gamma rays, and also believed that they had been exposed to an infrared or ultraviolet emitting source. And this case, well, it's only one of a handful of UFO cases that resulted in litigation, and during the years, Cash and Landrum were bounced between U.S. courts for several years before this was finally dismissed by a district court judge. That judge noted that there was really no reason to believe that the helicopters were associated with the U.S. government, and all official agencies have denied any involvement whatsoever. But we're jumping the gun a little bit. So let's back up a little bit. So in 1981, Vicky was hypnotized in front of a studio audience. And under hypnosis, she recounted the entire experience in detail. Now, eventually, Cash and Lundrum would contact their U.S. Senators, Lloyd Benson and John Tower, who suggested that the witnesses file a complaint with the Judge Advocate Claims Office at Bergstrom Air Force Base. So, in August of 1981, Cash, Lundrum, and Colby were all interviewed at length by personnel at Bergstrom Air Force Base and were actually told that they should hire a lawyer and seek financial compensation for their injuries. With attorney Peter Gersten taking on the case pro bono, the case wound its way through the U.S. courts for several years. That's right, Cash and Lundrum sued the U.S. government for $20 million. On August 21, 1986, a U.S. Di District Court judge dismissed their case, noting that the plaintiffs had not proven that the helicopters were associated with the U.S. government and that military officials had testified that the United States Armed Forces did not have a large diamond-shaped aircraft in their possession. The interesting thing is, and this case is so important, because whatever it was, 
It's just the tip of the UFO iceberg, and we're going to be talking about a lot of UFO cases in the future. By uncovering more on the military involvement, we should be able to trace the activities to specific operations and personnel. So much can be learned from this. Whether or not it was an extraterrestrial craft, the helicopters were following it. Even if we only study just the UFO investigation methods here, we can learn both from the successes and failures in a case which features some compelling evidence and eyewitness testimony. The other thing that I found so fascinating about this story is that it happened only four days after the infamous Rindlesham Forest incident in the UK, which is another case that we'll be covering. That one happened on December the 24th and 25th in the United Kingdom and remains one of the most important UFO cases involving military personnel to date. And many years later, it will be revealed there is a possibility the event involved time travel or time management, although this is disputed by the original investigators or of the incident, as well as many others. But it's something else that we'll definitely be delving into. And it's definitely something that's going to have maybe one or two episodes on it. But you know what? There's connections all the way around. And that's just what I'm just trying to say is there's a lot of connections here. Whether this incident is proof that UFOs are in fact top secret government projects or the result of extraterrestrial beings from another world or dimension or even elements of both, it would appear that governments have an involvement to at least some degree. This murkiness is what allows conspiracy theories to thrive and in turn allows the truth to become even more hidden. The Cash Lundrum case is arguably the most well-known of its kind, but far from the only sightings to have resulted in unintended sicknesses. In June of 1977, while riding along a quiet country road in County Durham, England, Mike Henschel claims a UFO caused him to have burns. Doing around 30 miles per hour on his motorcycle, he suddenly noticed a bright light behind him. At the same time, he was aware of an intense heat that seemed to permeate his helmet and clothing. His motorcycle cut out, but he felt as if something was pulling it forward. By this time, the gas tank upon which he sat was also beginning to heat up considerably. The light, which Henschel would later claim was a flying saucer, vanished, and the pulling on his bike ceased. The following day, though, his arms and hands came out in intense blisters that would last for several days. I don't know about you, but it sounds like a burn to me. In October of 1973, a truck driver, Eddie Doyle Webb, traveling with his wife in Missouri, would temporarily lose his vision during a UFO encounter. Opening his window to catch a better look at the strange craft in the air, a ball of light shot forward from it and hit the driver square in the face. The impact was so hard that it knocked the glasses from his head, and it caused him to lose his sight. His wife drove the truck to the nearest hospital, where he received treatment for burns to his face. His sight did return in several hours. A physicist later examined the driver's glasses and stated that a very intense heat would be responsible for the damage to them. This case is unique due to the physical evidence left behind, believed that it simply could not be faked. On December 30th of 1998, Betty Cash died in Birmingham, Alabama. She had been in poor health ever since her initial encounter and had never recovered from her initial injuries. Her life became a series of hospital stays, many of them in intensive care. Eventually, she developed cancer, which was successfully treated. In November of 1998, she suffered a stroke. 
and, on December 29th, during her recovery, an unusual turn of events claimed her life. Miss Lundrum died on September 12th, 2007, just seven days shy of her 84th birthday. But Mrs. Cash was a hero in the fight against government UFO cover-ups and brought hope to other victims of UFO incidents. She was devoted to family and friends and never allowed her illnesses to prevent her from helping others to cope with the trauma of UFO close encounters. Betty Cash was a warrior and a heroine. She fought the U.S. government and, even in defeat, showed a spirit and tenacity that will now be her epitaph. Betty Cash will be missed but never forgotten. And with that, we've come to the end of our episode, and we do thank you for joining us today. We hope that you'll take some time to reach out to us and share your thoughts on what you think happened. You can reach the show at darkenigmapodcast at gmail.com. If you have suggestions for future shows, or you just want to tell us what you think, drop us a line. And, of course, if you've had a supernatural encounter of your own, send us a story. And on that note, that's all the time that we have for today. Thank you for joining us on Renegade Talk Radio, and don't forget to tune in next time. And remember, keep it spooky. We don't sugarcoat shit. This is Renegade Talk Radio. Renegade Talk Radio.